The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to The Farm Show. On the programme this evening, we chat about the year ahead in agriculture with Minister McConnellogue. Elsewhere, we're on the verge of early grazing and uh, we speak with Sandra Hayes of Chagask about uh, the best way of going about that particular procedure as we do every spring. And finally, in our third part of our uh, programme, we chat to Philip O'Connor of IFAC about a new report which has some startling revelations, not all of them positive about the thought focus and uh, decision making of farmers and of course we'll have our uh, March reports from Tullow and Killian Hill in due course but first of all uh, I asked Minister for Agriculture about the broad picture for Irish agriculture. Farmers across Europe are restless. We saw protests in Germany, the Netherlands also, a huge amount of farmer agitation. Could you see the same thing happening in Ireland? And what's your perception of why there's this much discontent? In Ireland, I, as a minister in this government, are working to support farmers very strongly. And uh, as a government, there's never been more money brought to the table to support farm family schemes. And I've just outlined the increase in relation to national funding of 50%. And it's been my approach throughout the period as well to work to support farmers in particular times of need. So whether that has been in relation to the pig crisis and the the need to deliver support there which I delivered payments of up to €100,000 per individual farmer um, in that instance. Also then to support for the horticulture sector through difficult times. And also then over the last couple of years, you know, in terms of the cost of living challenges, delivering €1,000 per year last year and the year before to support farmers making fodder, for example, around the increased cost around that. And also then more recently again, the challenges that the tillage farmers experienced last year. I stepped in with um, a couple of support packages to support the tillage sector. And then across the board, then we've delivered that new common agricultural policy, which has radically increased the funding that's there for the suckler cow. I, I promised €200 Euro, uh, per suckler cow um, whenever I, I was I went before the people last time. And I've now delivered upon that last year and again this year. And in terms of the sheep sector, for example, of the highest level, highest ever level supports there in the most recent recent budget uh, saw a doubling of the payment uh, from the 10 euro that was there when I, you know the year before uh, year before last to 20 euro now this year per yo so that's a, so we're putting very strong supports there in relation to obviously you know the climate piece has dominated the airwaves too much it's a part of what we have to do yes but we can't get away from our core and the farmer's core function of producing food but in relation to that i thought and and then the government did deliver, and I was obviously a massive advocate of this in terms of the negotiation process, a target which is deliverable for agriculture and proportionate for agriculture by 2030 uh, at 25%. And, and that has been, uh, the, the farm organisations nationally themselves have indicated that that's a, that's a figure they support and that they believe can be delivered by us working together. So as a government, we've been proportionate in relation to how we want to work to support uh, and supportive in terms of how we work to, to support for farmers. And um, that's something we, we, we very much plan to continue to do too. Past six months dominated to a great extent, uh, a significant extent anyway, by the reduction in the nitrates derogation. Where are we now? Would this, a stabilisation of, 
of water quality at least hold the 220? Well, that's that was a comment the commissioner made when he was when he came, when he came over at my invitation, the T-shirts invitation, um, back in November. So the government are, are very uh, totally committed to maintaining the nitrous derogation and and to improving water quality. And that's something we all have to work to, together because the two of those are linked. We we work within the European market and we work across common standards, both in terms of food safety and, and health certification standards, but as well environmental standards as well. And there's no more there's no country that that's more important for than ourselves in Ireland because that European market is by far the largest market we have and 90% of all of the food we produce is exported. So uh, that common market is massively important to us. That means common standards. It means then, you know, across the rest of Europe, all but two countries at this stage are working off a stocking uh, density um, of 170 kilos of organic nitrogen per hectare. We have secured a derogation and continue to do so from other member states to be able to farm at a rate higher than that. It was 250. It's now to 220 for the most part. But that's contingent on us um, meeting, you know, improving water quality standards and certainly stabilization. So, you know, I've provided the straight and honest leadership necessary uh, to lead out in this, uh, to try and work with the sector to make sure that we maintain that derogation. It has been challenging over the last number of years because for a number of years, the trends were against us in many parts of the country. That's what led to the review, the, 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 the review being required office in terms of, you know, the potential draft from 250 to 220. We had no choice but uh, to be able to work to that. Uh, in fact, as we uh, laid out many times in the negotiation process, other members said in the European Commission were looking for a lower level than the 220 in the negotiation, you know, as part of that review. But as long as we work together now to stabilise and improve water quality, we can maintain that. And the Commissioner was clear in that, that if we're, you know, if we're succeeding in water quality, then the, the derogation will continue to be available and the Commission will be supportive of that. So I'll work to provide that leadership. And I put together a committee with all of the, the farming representatives on that so that we work collectively together. That hadn't, that, that forum hadn't been in, in place before, but I, I believe that type of approach is really important for us to do the job we need to do in the next, you know, two years to, to, to renew the derogation again. And, and you're aware of the distortions in land leasing prices, for instance, that have been caused by that reduction from 250 to 220. And indeed, if it were to drift lower, the impact as suggested at the IGA conference last week that, uh, it, there would be a significant negative impact on our ability to produce, for instance, milk from grass. Yes, it, it would have a real. I mean, it would have a real impact and exceptionally damaging. And that that the derogation is very is very key to our grass production model and to its competitive advantage and to its uh, capacity to be profitable and to be to be maintained. So it's something I'm absolutely committed to working to make sure that we hold on to. Uh, and to work with farmers to make sure that we hold on to. I'm very aware that of the the impact that the, the mooted drop from 250 to 220 and the, you know, had over the last 18 months. And, you know, it was very clear from farmer behaviour how farmers were very much aware of the imminence of this risk of dropping to 220 because we were seeing it in the land market over the last 18 months, particularly in the last year, where farmers were taking steps to acquire land um, in order to, you know, prepare for the potential drop to 220. And, uh, th- that, that was very, that had a real impact. It had, it has consequences in terms of other sectors too, the tillage sector in particular, but also, you know, for beef and sheep. And, um, that was, if you read, I'm sure, you know, you will have my letter to, and my submission to the European Commission and the Commissioner, uh, seeking to hold the 250 and, and, and seeking to 
to, to, to not have the, the, the drop and to put, put alternatives instead. I very much made that clear, my concern as to the impact it was having on the ground already, even before the drop to 220, what the, the, the potential for that drop was, was, was meaning in terms of land prices. So I want to avoid it and at all costs hold on to what we have and I'll work and provide that honest leadership uh, to farmers uh, and, um, and, and support uh, to, be, to be able to achieve that. A new interpretation of, of what qualifies for VAT rebates has created some controversy. Uh, I, I, do you think that can be resolved, that there's room for flexibility there? I, I, I hope so, um, but it's, it's entirely a matter for the revenue commissioners in terms of how they interpret the, uh, the legislation and the regulations that are there. So it, it, it has had a real impact in relation to um, mobile equipment and, and, and farmer decisions around whether to buy and purchase. I've made my services available to the Revenue Commissioners to be helped in any way uh, in terms of queries they would have in this. I know it's something the Taoiseach and uh, Minister of Finance are, are also engaged in. So, listen, it, it's a matter for revenue, but but we, 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 we recognise the challenges there and we're available to try and help resolve it in any way that we can. We're seeing the compulsory use of less, the low emission slurry spreading uh, coming down the whole time. It'll be down at uh, 130 probably down to 100. Do, do you see it compulsory across the board in the years to come and the use of protected urea? No, 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 I don't. I, not, no, I, don't. I, I think we're seeing massive behavioural change. We need to support that. Our fifth nitrous action programme has an objective by 2027 of achieving uh, 90% of our slurry being spread by uh, low emission slurry spreading. And that'll be the vast, vast majority. And the 10% that will be left out of that will tend to be smaller, more extensive farmers and uh, not as significant. So I focus very much on, on, on delivering the big steps there, uh, the, 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 the vast majority of the progress without, you know, uh, while recognising that it will be more challenging for some who are operating, you know, um, but like if we can achieve that 90% by 27, that will be massive progress. Likewise, then in relation to the protected urea, I see real, real potential to deliver that. Again, working to support farmers, and I think we can make that make that impact and bring that bring about that change, and work with farmers to do that. Um, bottom line is, it's more profitable and more efficient, as well as uh, lower uh, lower emissions, climate emissions. Whenever you use protected urea, it's a win win from a farmer point of view. So by working with farmers, um, I think, with, and and also importantly, industry in terms of actually the supply, we can bring about that change over the short term. Changes in calf transportation and age of movement and so on have been mooted. I presume at this late stage there's no anticipation that there'll be any immediate changes. Uh, no, but I mean, again, it's not something, it's not something that's fully within our control. Certainly it's dependent on, on companies being available, um, uh, to, to provide and we're very grateful for the, the strong transport links we have to the continent. Obviously the regulatory framework is there. And that's something we, we're working to make sure is reflective of, of our situation too. And, um, a number of our MEPs are working, particularly Lily Kelleher, working hard at European level in relation to advocating in relation to the, the changes that have been discussed there. Um, it works well for our calving system. Uh, it blends well with the veal system, uh, particularly in in the continent. Um, with some two hundred thousand calves went last year, so it's something we fully support. And but obviously, it's absolutely contingent on very high calf welfare standards and that's something we monitor very closely the standards expect nothing less but also in terms of the monitoring of it it's something we 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 we, we we're putting significant effort into as well are you still thinking about a potential uh, dairy reduction scheme 
And indeed, do you still favour access for milk production for new new entrants, young farmers? On the second point, absolutely yes. Um, I, I believe it's really important that farmers have the opportunity to decide what type of farming they want to do and to move between the sectors. And it's been really good to see new people coming into dairying in the last um, last few years. And uh, I've seen it myself, many farmers in my locality in Donegal, that would have been beef and even sheep uh, traditionally, um, but locked out because of the quota system trans- transitioning into dairy over the, over the last few years and continuing to do so. And we need to see that continue. Uh, I don't have a proposal uh, to, to reduce dairy uh, to, uh, for, voluntary, for voluntary reduction of dairy cows. It's something that the committees I put together with all stakeholders represented on it proposed as a potential option for consideration in terms of the, uh, cl- the uh, climate targets that has been that has been considered in terms of its merits, good, bad or otherwise, um, by, by, by officials. But I, I do plan to make a decision on that in the near future and bring clarity to that. I, I haven't, I've never indicated that it's a plan of mine, but it is something that's been put up for consideration. Uh, but I do believe it's important that I bring clarity to whether there will be any, any move in that regard soon. And uh, I expect to do that in this next short period of time. On a very local issue in Kilkenny, there's continuing upset and unrest over the, the Brennan family, Dan Brennan's farm in Cascacomer. Uh, Jackie Cal, TD, highlighted it in the doll, and you responded to that, uh, suggesting that new evidence would be needed. But ultimately, is new evidence needed before... Uh, there's, uh, you know, a fresh independent look at it. That's something Jackie Cahill in particular has been very uh, uh, vocal in relation to, but and has been raised very recently in the doll again by him and was raised across uh, government by a number of TDs, including John McGuinness as well, uh, prior to that. But I've, I've been looking and looked at the file and still have it under a, a further a further review. There was a number of independent assessments and reviews of this previously, and it had been looked at in a, in a, from a number of aspects. It's a long time ago now, almost 15 years, really, I think. So, listen, there would need to be a, a, a very strong reason as to why you would uh, reopen it and do a further investigation, considering there was a number there before. So, listen, I committed in the doll to look at this again, and and, and I'm having it looked at at the moment. You mentioned uh, the the beef scheme, and it's all built around, or at least related to genetics. I get the impression that there's huge potential in genetics. It's perhaps a slow burner, but over some generations of cattle, there's huge potential to reduce emissions, as well as other productivity gains. Yeah, but big time, and like we've we've seen that stepped out in the dairy herd over the last twenty years or so through the uh, EBI, and that has massively transformed the efficiency of our dairy herd and the capacity to produce milk and to do so profitably. And we want to make sure you know we want to see the same progress and the same profitability uh, delivered for the beef herd through the use of genetics and and beef beef indices as well. And ICBF are doing really strong work in this regard, and the system we have and the the schemes we have here nationally are, you know, they're not replicated anywhere else. We're, we're breaking new ground in relation to what, what we're doing here. And then last year announced as well, uh, our plan to become the first fully genotyped herd in the world. And again, that, uh, that, that greatly enhances our capacity to maximize the benefits we can get from improved genetics and also to make sure farmers have, there's transparency around there for farmers in terms of what they're getting, what they're breeding and also what they're buying so that whenever they go to sell, they can plan to be making, maximizing their profits. So I, I see a lot of potential, but as you say, it's a, it's a, it's a slow builder. It, do, it, it does accumulate, but it does, it will have, a, have deliver, um, results. Minister, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. 
That was uh, Minister McConnell. And after the break, we will be heading to uh, Sandra Hayes of Chagas to talk about early grazing. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Philip O'Connor of IFAC is on the line to talk about their new uh, farm report uh, for 2024. Philip, how are you? How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Philip, I see in the journal, uh, the headline IFAC, one in three farmers could be out in five years. A, a bit pessimistic, perhaps, or is that the general thought process? Um, well, it's... God, that was a, you went straight into it, Matt. Well, I suppose, look, <laughs> we, 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 we ask the farmers, we ask every year, we, we do a number of questions about like, we're a financial first service company, but we do, uh, we do ask kind of what we call uh, sentiment questions. And one of them is, will you be still be farming in five years' time? So, yeah, the stats, when it was, it was, it was a bit, we didn't quite expect that one to come like the way it did, like, um, that's, 27% of the people that answered that said they didn't know if they'd be farming in five years' time. Um, 7% said they said no, and the rest obviously said yes, they'd definitely be farming. And the, the big change in that stat wasn't... It, it's been fairly consistent no's for the last four years, between 6 and 7%. The big swing was the don't no's. So really what it is, is it, I think, I suppose what, what, what that stat really showed us is the uncertainty that that's coming into farming, I suppose, in the last 12 months. Um, and that kind of fed out into, in, into sort of that question when we asked farmers do they feel they'll be farming in five years' time um, and, 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 and that's why we feel that stat was as high as it was. Yeah, I'm just uh, cherry-picking here for the moment now and I'll let you give an overview uh, uh, after a while but uh, 30% of farmers struggling to get farm workers I mean, that's that's a fairly recognised um, challenge across the whole farming sector but where the... 48%, that's half of farmers do not have a successor in place. That's actually lower than last year, even though I, I, I don't know what huge change would would have happened in, in the meantime, Philip. Yeah, that, that's that kind of jumped a little bit, all right, that people had successor. Um, the one main one that changed in the successor stats, because we asked the same question quite a year to, to track this trend, um, but roughly, roughly, the, but of the people who, who answered succession, 94% of them said they have serious, there's issues with succession, if you know what I mean, that they, it's not straightforward process and that the problems they have with it. So, um, yeah, succession is, is something I suppose that, that every farmer has to deal with, like I said in IFAC. Something we deal with every day with clients coming in, talking to us, looking at it. And the biggest, the biggest issue are, the farmer said around succession was the question of viability of the farm. So how viable is the farm? So 25% of the, of the response farmers said that viability was the biggest issue they had around succession. And that's, well, I'm not surprised at that, if you know what I mean. And when we look at the, we look at the stats that would have come out. I know Matthew had something on earlier on there in the year when the tax outlook there before Christmas and the possibility where farming changed from 23, 22 into 23. Like there was a huge shift. And, um, yeah, so like, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised that uh, viability is, is the number one issue for uh, farmers around succession. Now, that 48%, almost 50%, is mirrored by the 50% of farmers do, who do not have a will in place. I mean, if you haven't an identified successor, the, a, a will is problematic. But at the same time, even with relatively modest holdings, Philip, uh, there's an enormous amount of capital tied up in land and uh, buildings and livestock. And uh, 
it's it's not a healthy situation that half the farmers don't have a will. Yeah, one and two. Like that, that's a surprising stat. Like, I mean, if you if you think about it, the old adage, cash uh, asset rich, cash poor. It's it's that that encapsulates farming in, in, in straight away in a sentence. Um, yeah, look, in IFAC, we're always trying to tell our clients, look, you need to look at a will. Like, I mean, even if it's something that you need to do, like, even if it's a very simplistic will, and leave it with your spouse or whatever, like. Um, like if we looked at the CSO figures, roughly speaking, about the average farm in Ireland is about seventy-five, eighty acres. If you, if you put a ten grand cost per acre, you're talking about that could be worth seven, eight hundred thousand euros. It's a lot of money, if you know what I mean. And it's, there's quite tax consequences of not getting that right, if you know what I mean. Um, as regards what I mean, so you might have a farm that could be worth seven or eight hundred thousand, but it might only be returning an income of ten or fifteen thousand. But it doesn't change. You said so you're right there, Matt. It doesn't change the value of that asset and the implications from a tax point of view in succession if it's not dealt with correctly. Now, I've cherry-picked my what, what, what I see as highlights. Give me an overview, Philip, uh, of, of, of the survey, of the report this year. You know, where are things going generally? Well, I suppose the survey, I suppose just put it away the context as regarding the figures you spoke about, the survey was done um, towards the, in, in November and into December. So it, it was a snapshot of where farmers were. And if you do remember... Um, into December last year, November and December last year, we were off the back of a, a poor financial year. We had high increase, um, high costs on the farm, and it just didn't seem to rain there for most of the autumn. So the sentiment questions are not surprised at that. And that's fed out in other questions that we would have asked. So when we talked to people, then what was the biggest concern on the farm? In for prices, and there's no surprise there considering the the, the price of uh, fertiliser and feed there last year on energy and it's probably only in recent days and weeks we're starting to see that coming back a little bit um, the old energy price has come back in the last week um, I was surprised with the stat the stat that probably jumped out of me a little bit and I suppose in part of where I, from what I do in IFAC um, in financial services is one in three felt they didn't have enough cash for the next six months they weren't sure if they had enough cash and then of that one in four said they weren't budgeting Um and I was a little bit surprised at that stat and like when it first came out and I first saw it like but when I kind of stepped back and thought about it I suppose if one and four are not budgeting how do they know if they have enough cash for the next six months um, so I do feel like something and it's something I work with work clients a lot with an IFAC is is do I think like that stat says that there's 33% of farmers who are going to run out of money in six months no but what it does show is that 33% of farmers are unsure what cash work work and capital they have in the business and that's not good for farming. I mean, you, like any business, you do need to know the ebbs and flows of cash throughout your business. And when margins get tight and when costs go up or what we've gone through in the last 18 months, two years of fluctuating costs, inputs and so forth, outputs, you need to have a really good handle on your finances so you can understand where your money is, where your money in your business is going and how much you can make and so forth. Like so. Um, I think financial management is something that's going to come to the fore in the coming months and years ahead for farmers, especially as we go through, I suppose, we're in a bit of a transition phase, I suppose, in farming and the possibility of the changes that are coming down the line. Yeah, and of course, th- there's a certain um, sense that, that, you know, that reaction of, of wondering whether they have enough uh, cash flow, enough uh, money to get them through the next six months, that's understandable given the situation. I mean, if you have a salary, whatever about 
costs and groceries and living expenses going up, you 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 have a fairly dependable salary unless you you're made redundant. In farming, it's entirely different, particularly in the livestock sectors and even in tillage, where it's a once a year payoff. You know, it's an erratic income. Prices fluctuate enormously, and the volatility has been huge in in recent years. So, I suppose it's it's relatively understandable, Philip. It is, but you can still uh, yes. Like, I mean, we can't change what'll happen tomorrow. But what we can do is when we look at financial management, and uh, somebody put it to me quite um, aptly, like financial management shouldn't you shouldn't go in, you shouldn't look at financial management when you're in the hospital and it's gone wrong. It should be like the gym. You should be working on it all the time. So therefore, you always know what's happening, and your and your 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 finances are fit and healthy. And I suppose that comes in like, and it's what I'm doing at farmers at the moment. So I work with a lot of farmers, and we'll be doing budgets for this year. So we'll be looking at the figures. So we'll, we'll take an, an atypical dairy farm. So we'll we'll budget for what we feel the feed will be this year, but we we will stress that. So we'll stress what happened if the spring ran ran long, and we needed to purchase in fodder. Do we does the do the figures allow us to do that? What happens if we had a drought in the summer and we had to create more concentrates? What if the price of it dropped or went up and so forth? So what the budget allows you to do when you're looking at your finances, it allows you to stress it and to look at where the pinch points. Therefore, if that particular scenario happened, the farmer knows, yes, I can actually walk through that. I've done the figures, I can my farm is financially strong enough to walk through that or so no. I now need to maybe go to a bank or I need to uh, approach my co-op and extend out my credit terms. But what it does is it allows you to see what, see what if that happens and how you react to it rather than the problem happening and then you seeing it and then only then are you reacting to the problem after it happens, if you know what I mean. So I told you, we, we can't foresee everything but what, what, what budgeting and financial management does is allows us to, I suppose, see where those pinch points in our finances will be and then knowing then whether or whether we're financially strong enough to work through those types of issues or whether we need a bit of financial help when those if, if and when those problems do arise. Just an overview from you, Philip, before we conclude on, on the mood, which was part of your assessment in the report. And I'd hazard a guess that even in the couple of months since October, November, even into December, the mood may have um, improved significantly. Beef prices on the rise and, and, and looking like at least stabilising and probably improving in the coming months. Sheep prices staying up. Grain prices, God knows, they can't get any lower and the costs uh, have come back somewhat. So there may be an improvement there. And it looks like milk prices are, are, are going up slowly but surely. So I fancy the mood may be changing. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, like, I mean, I think we did that. We, we asked that, that, that those type of optimism questions today. I think they'd be higher. I don't think they'd be exponentially higher, but they definitely would be higher. Like, I mean, they're 100% right, Matt. Like, the, the mid price rising, uh, input, like, fortune feet are starting to come back slowly, but they're coming back if you're at least going in the right direction. And um, only there, what day were you today? Were Thursday? Was it on Tuesday? I think was it Energy Ireland? Or did Energy Ireland come out? Reductions of 13%, oh gosh, I think 10%. So that, that is a positive feeding back into the, into the sector. So I suppose it's allowing a little bit of widening in the margin. So, like, I mean, there was a period there, I'd say, last autumn where it was very hard to see how we were going to make a few quid where the uh, some of the figures are going. But you're right, some some good positivity coming into, into the sector. And I suppose the one area none of us could can control, but I think would make a massive difference. We got an early spring. And as you say, the tillage farmers, while they don't know the grain price, but if they're able to get out and get crops in the ground and ourselves in the livestock industries were able to get animals out onto the grass, it would make a, would make a huge difference in, uh, on the sector for the coming year. 
I must say I find it hugely interesting and uh, we haven't even hit the attitudes to renewables or the fact that mm, 66% of farmers have a, a, a pension plan, which I find very positive. Philip, where can people have a good, a good read of this? Uh, well, as I say, um, it's, 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 it's well covered online at the moment and between our own website and Facebook and all those wonderful things. But it's also on our website. If you just call, if you just uh, Google www.rifact.ie, um, you'll, uh, you'll come across the report. A good job of work, Philip, by yourself and uh, the organisation, IFAC. Thank you very much for joining us on The Farm Show. Thank you, Matt, and thanks for having me on. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Now, just to correct something before we go across to discuss early grazing. It's that time of the year again, but I suggested at the end of our conversation with Philip O'Connor that 66% of farmers have a pension plan. Of course, I read that wrong before anyone hauls me up. Mea culpa. 33%, a third of farmers have a pension plan. Uh, <coughs> I was being a trifle optimistic. Sandra Hayes, how are you? Hello, Sandra, how are you? I'm very good, Matt. Good, good, good. I was just correcting myself there. I was very optimistic that uh, the, the majority of farmers have a, a pension plan. They don't. It's a minority still, very much so. Listen, let's get down to our topic of conversation. Uh, the gates are being oiled up to be opened for freshly calved cows, at least. Uh, the, there's potential for early grazing, maybe not today or tomorrow, but certainly in the in the in the foreseeable future. Yes, um, and what we're organising, Matt, is we're having a farm walk on spring grazing and uh, having a fertiliser strategy. Um, we're having it on next Wednesday, uh, the 24th of January at 11 o'clock on the farm of Dennis Lahart. He's just outside Kells Village and we're having it there, to, as, as I say, 11 o'clock next Wednesday. And we'll be discussing the, the, you know, the opportunities that are available, as you said, maybe not today, uh, you know, um, with, with the weather that we're having, but in the future to get cows out to grass and the importance of getting that grass into, into cows at this stage, you know, at the starting off of the of the grazing strategy. As we know, a lot of cows have been housed, potentially, you know, from last October with the bad weather. So um, it's kind of like a reprogramming. We have to, to get them back out and do what they do well, and that's grazing grass. Yeah, and I've seen a few a few fresh calvers out, and I'd say they're delighted to be out. Now, of course, you're going to have to manage that grass, aren't you? It has to last a good while before you get real growth. Exactly. Well, what you've got is whatever grass you have from last winter, you'll have from you from the day you start out grazing, what we call up to Magic Day, and that can be anything. It could be the end of March this year. It could be well, you know, the, we, it usually it comes the first week of April. It could be the second week of April, depending on Mother Nature. So what we usually do is budget out, get the farmers to to walk the farm, see how much grass they have, and then budget it out into you know it's it's around a long time now, but the spring rotation planner, and that works that you get a third of your grass uh, grazed roughly in the month of February. Another third of St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, and then the balance then from the 18th of March on until what we say growth, the growth of the of the grass meets the demand of the cows. Um, it takes a bit of tweaking. Some farmers and the, the, the host farmer that we're going to on Wednesday, he explained to me he might graze a little bit harder in February, as we always hit a, a stint of uh, time during the month of March where cows, you know, due to bad weather or whatever, a lot of wet weather are in so he likes to graze hard get that ground grazed and you know ready and that that ground potentially has up to 60 70 maybe even 80 days to recover 
for the cows to be able to graze that back in early April. So that, no. That's the way the plan works. And if it, it, it is yet to surprise me that it doesn't work, Matt, in some shape or form. Yeah, and, and, and of course it works and, and, and you follow the protocols but it's within my living farming memory when most cows weren't let out until the middle of March why would you bother? How nutritious is that? How valuable is that grass? It's an extremely valuable resource Matt. We work in terms of what we call good, good sources of energy for the cows to eat to convert into milk solids right? and the main components we have is grazed grass, uh, meal and conserved silage Right, and the one of the highest UFL energy ingredients we have for the cows to eat is actually grazed grass, and in springtime that has one of the highest uh, energy values of feed we can actually get for the cows. If you ask me to look at a co-op apart for a farmer, right, I could nearly see who which of the farmers gets out the grass and which of them doesn't, because it reflects in the milk solids the more grazed grass that has got into those cows. And it trans it tra- that that grazing pattern transfers into the co-op report when you're looking at particularly the protein percentage and the milk solids. You'll see it reflected. You could like if I looked at the 2023 one, I can see the bumps in March. I could see the bumps when it got a bit dry in 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 June, and then you could definitely see it with the, the fall of milk solids in October. It's, so- it's harder for a farmer to maintain it as like, it, it's it's in. in relative to other feeds it's one of the cheapest feeds as well that we have and it's it's what we're renowned for in this country we graze cows outside and we turn that grazed grass into excellent quality milk solids and milk products throw a figure at me that makes it worthwhile in terms of kilos of dry matter per day if I could get what four or five kilos into a cow that makes it worthwhile yes we're going to explain we're going to show an example on Wednesday a cow that if we leave her inside on you know um, silage. Now this depends on the silage so we're, we're always encouraging farmers to have the results of what the cows are actually eating. They could be on 65 DMD silage or they could be on grazer but they're around 65. The change in getting in anything from 4 kgs of dry matter up could be the equivalent of, of changing the you know the milk solids you know by 0.2 or 0.3 of a kg of milk solids. And there's money there's money to be made doing that. Now there's a further complexity in the whole grazing equation now with the introduction of clover and I, I would suggest that Correct. that has to be managed as well because you know, the pasture has to be grazed bare in the autumn if the clover is to survive into the spring but it doesn't grow early in the spring you know the story explain it to me okay well we have clover and it does make it it does die off in the winter time with the colder temperatures and it likes a temperature of above 8 degrees for, for growing right so we don't get that in the springtime. We get grass from above five degrees and the grass will start growing but the clover would be slower, right? So farmers um, would I haven't come, I've yet to come across too many farms, uh, Matt, that has 100% clover in every paddock so you're going to be looking at your paddocks that don't have as much clover or have no clover at all to have the greatest quantity of grass to be grazed this spring first, right? And yes, you're right, that if you want clover next spring, you graze it down tight in the autumn time, so it'll be slower to come back. So the paddocks with the highest amount of clover will more than likely be the later paddocks that you'll be grazing in probably the second half of April, you know, on, on your spring rotation planner. So it's it's all about management. Like, you, you have to manage grass the same, you have to manage clover the same. Yeah. The savings, I suppose, in the clover is later on in the year. That is a fantastic plant that's able to fix its own nitrogen and provide the fertiliser for it and the grass plant to grow. 
So it's a case of having a balanced approach um, when it comes to planning, like for the springtime, you know, you're going to have to have some grass paddocks to be able to, to degrease later on. And if you have a large amount of clover, you also are going to have to think, well, I may need supplementary feed and that may have to be, you know, very good quality bale silage or good pit silage to, you know, if, if there was a shortfall, if you hadn't got that much grass. But to be fair, I I don't see that out there on, on farms. Most farms have a good balance between, you know, grass paddocks and they have their clover fields. We'll, we'll have to park the clover there, but people will learn an awful lot at that uh, farm walk next week. Uh, uh, finally, a shout out because the Health and Safety Authority highlighting farm safety, particularly around livestock this time of the year, hugely important, Sandra. Definitely. I always try and stress it um, to get, uh, get the high biz on everyone. Um, farmers are good to get new wellies, new wet gear at this time of year because they're going to start calving, and that's very important. But also think at the high-vis vest or the, the yellow, you know, reflective jackets. You might have had one from last year and it mightn't be just as reflective. Go down to your, you know, wherever you buy your supplies, get a new one for the new calving season. Be safe, be seen. And the same children on farms love coming out, seeing the new calves. And to be, you know, to be fair to them, they're a great source of help as well in feeding the calves. Put a high-vis jacket over their work and over their work and coat as well so they can be seen. This week, there are calves starting to drop on farms. If you see one of the yard lights and the bulb is gone, you need to take that time to safely correct that bulb and put in a new one. You need visibility. You're like the farmers work on long hours, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Um, yards are going to be busy and yards need to be visible. So if there's something that needs to be repaired from a visual point of view, get it done as, as quickly and as safely as possible. The 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 phrase Sandra Hayes, uh, thank you very much for joining me on the Farm Show. Take care. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe, brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report, sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart, serving the farming community for over sixty years. And George Candler is in studio to provide us with a livestock report. George, over to you. Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, yesterday, a much smaller sale, 450 on offer, but it didn't have any effect on trade. An excellent trade all round. That's the smaller number due to the poorer weather conditions, and uh, that has resulted in the reduction in numbers. Uh, but all in all, a very good trade all round. The 600 kilo plus bullocks range from 220 to 321 per kilo, or 1430 to 2500 euro per head. 5 to 600 kilo bullock from 221 to 325 per kilo kilo. That's 1170 to 1880 per head. And an indication of the good price. Six Frisians there. Uh, 598 kilo made. 1650. That's 276 per kilo. So nice money indeed. 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 207 to 305 per kilo. That's 840 to 1500 euro per head. The 400 kilo and under bullock from 185 to 325 per kilo. That's 630 to 1150 per head. Now most of you know that the uh, Tuesday we have our cull cow sale and last Tuesday with 215 on offer not one cow was missed in that sale uh, Frisian cull cows from 115 to 220 per kilo with the continentals from 150 to 305 per kilo in the heifer division beef heifers from 275 to 320 per kilo that's a price range of 1720 to 2170 per head forward store heifers from 420 to 325 per kilo uh, price uh, should I say 220 to 325 per kilo or from 1080 to 1740 per head with a lighter type from 2 euro to 370 per kilo 
kilo from 680 to 1160 per head. Top call there for uh, two limits and cattle weighing in at 280 kilo and making 1030. Nice money. Uh, on the sheep front, um, the uh, a very good trade and uh, well done to the producers who are bringing lambs to Kilkenny in the last uh, few months. We really are attracting some super lambs or hoggets as they are now. There was a complete clearance and it's no wonder because the butcher lamb range from 150 to 172 per head. Some super animals on offer and plenty of buyers. The factory type from 130 to 155 per head. Store lands from 85 to 123 per head. And the cashews from 85 to 202 per head. In uh, We had a small dairy sale. In calf, freezing cows and heifers from 860 to 1200 euro per head, with fresh calf, freezing cows and heifers from 1100 to 1600 per head. Monday, of course, our sheep sale, uh, that kicks off at uh, 10 o'clock, 10.15. Tuesday, our cull cows, weanings calves, we'll be starting cows shortly on that Tuesday, along with the cull cows. Thursday, our general cattle sale. And on the uh, 20, uh, the last uh, Monday of the month, we have the sale of uh, a, a close herd, the property of late Mary Butler Erdley and there's 38 on offer in that all calving from early uh, early February and well worth a look that's absolutely magnificent herd and they ha- I think it's in the top 4% EBI in the country uh, and, and poor Mary died uh, very prematurely there in November and uh, due to the, that factor the, these have to be dispersed so it's a very genuine sale yeah, and uh, always, always uh, of in- of great interest because people recognise good stock and they su- support sales like that uh, more th- more than most. Numbers today, George. I can't help uh, reflecting further on it. Obviously, uh, uh, the weather impacted. Weather, weather impact, and I suppose the question is out there, Matt, uh, as you see, uh, is, are numbers scarcer? You know, it's quite possible, it's uh, very hard to know, because there's always been a conflict that uh, this time of the year is sort of up and down times, we're not really sure what's happening. Next week, of course, is Thiesta's Day, that generally has a, an effect on numbers also, but it ha- over the last couple of years had no effect on prices, so if you have them, bring them along, uh, because it looks as though there's a want out, and there is a want out there, let's face it, there is a want out there, there's a slight caution that perhaps those uh, very very thin cows in the P, uh, P grade category may not be as popular, but all in all, the cull cows, a, a magnificent sale on Tuesday. Actually, we started the sale, I think, about 10 past 10. It was finished, I think, just after uh, 20 to 1, and that's for an entry of 215. So that's that's fair tipping. <laughs> Good. I mean, the, uh, the innovations you've introduced, uh, George, over the time, the online one we've spoken about several times, but the introduction of a dedicated cow sale, working extremely well. Yeah, well, of course, we, we are in cow country. Let's face it, Matt, uh, as everyone knows. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of suckler herds to dairy, and that's, uh, I suppose, it's a matter of finances, the reason for the change there. And uh, there's a, quite a number of cull cows, but it's a great alternative now because a farmer can came, come in on a Tuesday, he can just, and a lot of them are coming in with their cows, just dropping them up, following the sale online, and they know exactly where they stand regarding prices, etc. And I, I'm sure that uh, in the present climate, they will definitely might not be disappointed. Actually, a couple of farmers who sold cows on Tuesday said, is that correct? In other words, they were quoted the price, uh, your cow made 1100 are you sure it was mine? You know, so it's good to hear that. And uh, uh, that's uh, and uh, the fact that that sale also has uh, attracted quite a number of new buyers is also beneficial. George, thank you very much. My thanks to Martin, who produced and engineered. For me, Matt O'Keefe, until next week, farm well, farm safely. Good night and goodbye.
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.